Hey guys, if you're new, welcome. If you're joining us again, welcome back. My name is Brennan Alexander, and this is the North Boulevard Fuel Class. We are the college and young adults ministry here at North Boulevard Church of Christ. Um, a quick plug before we move forward, if you want to see any of our other lessons that we've, we've done this summer, if you are interested in just talking to us, seeing what we're about, uh, please contact any one of these places. Um, NorthBoulevard.com slash ministry slash classes slash fuel. We're on Facebook is fuel slash slash North Boulevard. We're on YouTube as North Boulevard Fuel Class. And finally, if you have questions for me, um, you may reach me at Brennan Alexander at mtcscougars.org. So like I said last week, I was like kind of a dork for reading that and plugging that, but I've had somebody contact through one of those methods every time that I've done it. So we'll keep doing it. So we have been on the book of Job for what feels like about six years. Um, time means nothing in 2020, you know that. So I think it's been four weeks, but been here for a while. Um, I'll be honest, I meant to knock it out in a week or two and just the book of Job keeps having incredible things. So you got to take time. I got to check some stuff out. But this week we're going to finish up. I promise it. I mean it this time. I had no less than three people contact me this week and ask if I really meant it this time we were going to finish. Yes, we are promise. So over the last few weeks, we've gone through the story of Job, a man that was blessed by God and given literally everything. Um, he had wealth. He had a beautiful family, a beautiful home, livestock, fame, but above all, he was righteous before the Lord. Um, finally, though, he kind of runs into a tough spot because Satan challenges God on Job. God kind of brags on Job and says, look at how faithful my servant is. And Satan says, well, he's nothing if you take his things away. And God says, okay, try it. He does. Job remains faithful. He says, well, he's nothing if you take his health away. God says, okay, spare his life. Try it. Satan does it, yet Job is still faithful. And over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at the coming of three of Job's closest friends. As he's laid in ruin, as everything around him is destroyed, his family, his wealth, his home, his health, Job's three friends arrive. And they proceed to, instead of you know comforting him, taking care of him, um, kind of walking him through this, you know, this horribly traumatic time, they take turns progressively blaming Job for everything that's happened, essentially arguing that he earned it somehow. He has done something to deserve everything that has happened. And each one of them insists that they are wise enough and smart enough to know why God would do something like this, why God would allow something like this to happen. And so they insist on explaining to Job that they know the real reason all these horrible things have happened. And furthermore, they know what Job needs to do in order to um, offset these things. And this advice is brutal, man. Um, they do everything from tell Job that maybe he, he wasn't sinning on purpose to one of his friends directly saying, if your son was righteous, he would still be alive. It's basically your fault. Your kids are dead. Pretty heavy stuff, right? Exactly what everybody wants to hear when they talk to their best friends after a difficult time. And so finally, at the end of all of this, his three friends have given speeches. Job has replied and insisted that they are wrong, that God has some sort of plan. There must be some sort of reasoning behind this other than the fact that you know he has not followed God's word. Um, and they just keep telling him he's wrong and keep telling him he's wrong. Finally, we have the final... Um, voice and opinion on what has happened and why has happened. And that would be God himself. So we pick up in chapter 38. In verses 1 through 7, it says, The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? 
Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And God goes on to lay out thing after thing after thing that he knows, that he has seen, that he has created, that Job and his friends have no idea about. Essentially, God kind of kicks the door in into this conversation. You know, I, I, you know, unapprovedly by my parents was a wrestling fan growing up. I, Mom always thought it was too violent to watch, but it was just so cool. And, you know, there was always this moment where the lights would go out, and, you know, you'd hear that glass bottle break or whatever it was, and Steve Austin would come running down the ramp. This is kind of God's moment, right? He busts in. He doesn't have a theme song, but he has a swirling storm, which is pretty cool. And he just kind of jams in there and says, all right, you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's have this conversation. And he wants to know who is speaking for him and why. Essentially saying, there are people saying that they have wisdom and they have understanding, but you know nothing. You weren't there when I created the world. You weren't there when I gave everything its reason, everything its being. Who are you to think that you have a right to speak for me or to speak for my plan? And he very much so asserts himself right off the jump. And for two chapters, just lays thing after thing after thing out before Job of, I knew, I know this, I created this, I did this. Really kind of asserting, I know things and understand things that never in your wildest dreams will you ever fully be able to understand. Until finally, we get to chapter 41. And this gets interesting. It's one of the um, more talked about passages um, in this book. He says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him amongst the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Will they apportion him among merchants? Sorry. If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. But who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. So when we see Leviathan here, um, the Leviathan was this well-known um, sea monster that everybody was afraid of in the ocean. It was um, kind of this dragon of the sea. And kind of as we cross-reference things, where in a lot of places the devil is referred to as a snake or a serpent or a dragon, um, this seems to be a direct reference to Satan when God speaks of the Leviathan, when he speaks of this monster. And as he speaks of this power and of man's powerlessness over it, I think that's super, super important that God intentionally draws attention to the powerlessness of Job over Satan. And I think that's something we get mixed up a lot in our life. We always want to say Satan has no power over earth. Satan has no strength here. No, he does. God pretty openly says that Satan is stronger than man. He does have power over us, is more powerful than we are. However, God then asserts that his power is more than all, that he has power over all on the earth before him, over all that he has created. I think it's really important. Um, a lot of times we want to throw around that theology of, you know, Satan has no power on earth, cast him away. We can't do that. 
As human beings, we don't have that ability. We don't have that power. We're, we're, we're not that strong. We don't have that figured out yet. But God does. God does have that power. God does assert that power. And he very, very explicitly lays it out right here. Um, I think it's interesting how much time God spends directing um, attention to how powerful Satan is in this situation. While he's using you know, an image of Satan as a sea monster, he goes out of his way to, to prove the fact that as a man, Job can do nothing. There's nothing close that a man can do. And yet God says, who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me? Everything under heaven belongs to me. That's a tough place for us. It is a place where a lot of times we want to say, God, I think I have power over this. I've got this. I appreciate your help. I appreciate your input, but I've got this one. And God says, no, you don't. As human beings, we don't have that power over evil. We don't have that power over struggle, but God does. And so Job's kind of faced with this, um, of God saying, you know, you've done a good job, but you've questioned me a lot right here. And I kind of want to know, who do you think has power over this? Who do you think has dominion? Who do you think has a plan over this? And so Job is kind of left in shock and awe. You know, when the creator of the universe kicks in your door in a whirling storm and goes off about how powerful he is and how weak you are and all the things he can do that you can't, you're kind of in a daze, right? And so Job takes this moment where he could defend himself. He could argue to God that, hey, look, I've spent all this time defending that, you know, I'm sure there's something other than, than, you know, I did something wrong. I've spent all this time telling my friends that ultimately you're in control. Job doesn't do that. In chapter 42, Job immediately says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is a man who has lost everything in his life. And yet when he has the opportunity to stand before the Lord, to plead his case, to tell him, you know, God, why would you let this happen to me? Why would you do this? Why would you take all of these things away? He has this moment face to face. All he says is, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He says, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You know, Job has not been the one putting God's intent and God's plans on trial. His friends have. Job has wavered maybe a little bit, but for the most part, it's been the other three guys that have been drilling God. And yet in this moment, Job steps up and he says, no, God, I was the one that didn't know what I was talking about. I was wrong. I shouldn't have even questioned you from the beginning. He says, God, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is very, very important because this is not the point where God has fixed everything. Job is still laying in ruin. His world has collapsed around him. His family is gone. His um, wealth is gone. His home is gone. And God has appeared... But all God has done so far is say, why are you questioning me? Why are you questioning my intent? He hasn't given Job his family back. He hasn't given him any wealth back. hasn't given him his home back. And yet in this moment, when Job has an opportunity to voice, you know, God, I just, I need your help. You know, surely we can figure something out. There's a misunderstanding. All that he says is that I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. I was wrong even to question you in this situation and even to question you in this scenario. And not only am I sorry, I repent in dust and ashes. 
A man who literally has lost everything and has nothing is actually taking the time to give himself less in order to show his apology to God. He realizes that God's purpose and God's intent is for real. You know, even in a moment that he didn't understand it, even in a moment that it didn't make sense to him that the God that created the universe, the God that gave every animal its being, its purpose, the God that has laid the stars in the heaven out and knows them by name, that that guy may know a little bit more than he does. And even more so, again, he doesn't challenge it. This is such an opportunity for Job to say, God, enough. How dare you? Enough. I did everything for you and you took everything from me. He doesn't challenge it. He just says, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for questioning. And he humbles himself. And how difficult is, for, is that for us as Christians to humble ourselves in the face of opposition? God, I prayed every night for that new job and you didn't give it to me. What happened? God, I prayed every single night that, you know, this relationship would work out, that this friend, um, this friend would become something more. Why didn't you do that for me? God, I've been at church every Sunday since I was born. Why am I not making more money? Why am I not living in a better house? Job has every opportunity and more reason than any of us to challenge that status quo of God, I've done more for you than anyone else on earth. Why me? But he doesn't. He humbles himself and he repents before the Lord. So let's check out what happens. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and I will not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite, did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. You have these three guys that have traveled from across the country to come tell their friend all of the things that he has done wrong. All of the ways that he has forsaken the Lord. All of the reasons he is not righteous and he deserves all the terrible things that have happened to him. Can you imagine the creator of the universe looking at you specifically by name and saying, How dare you? Who did you think you were to question my purpose, to question my intent? You know, essentially, um, this is a horrible reference, but we're going here. I'm a huge Hamilton fan. I'm okay with it. I've accepted that in my life. And there is a moment where um, Hamilton and some of his friends get angry that somebody has spoken poorly of George Washington. And they challenge him to a duel and they shoot him. And he steps in front of him and he says, believe me. You don't speak for me. And this is that moment for God, telling these guys, you don't, get to be, you don't get to tell people what I think and what I do. That's my job. That's my thing. And to humble them, he then takes the guy that they have spent all this time telling is unrighteous, is horrible, is terrible, and he says, only he is the one that's going to be able to forgive you. Only he, he is the only one I'm going to listen to. And guys, if you really want to delve into this, this is a lot of foreshadowing for what's to come in the Bible. Because did he not do the same thing with Jesus? 
as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish religious officials are all milling about and telling everybody of how they are the way to salvation. They are the ones that understand what God really wants, that really wants um that really know what God's intent is for the world, that God sends a man that not only refutes them, but rebukes them regularly, daily, until the point that they, he makes them angry enough that they kill him on a cross. God looks at them and says, hey, that's what you needed. He was the one you needed. And that's a place that I think God humbles us a lot, of sending the, per- the person that we don't think is necessarily the one to humble us, to be his voice. And so Job does. He offers a sacrifice for his friends. He prays before the Lord. And finally, in Job chapter 42, in verse 12, it goes into more specifics, but this is the most, um, I guess, general way that it explains it. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. A lot of us are in the former phase right now, Um, just kind of across the world right now. It's a weird time for everybody. I don't think I know anybody that's going, 2020, my year. No, we're we're kind of past that. We're ready, ready to move on. We're all kind of living in the former. But if nothing else, know that there is a latter. There is a later. There is a next. And guys, to be totally frank, even if it's not our time on earth, that reward does come later. It does come in the kingdom of God. So that is the shotgun version of the book of Job. Um, I hope that you have learned something. I hope you've enjoyed something about it. Um, I am going to say a quick prayer, and we will get out of here, and we'll jump into something new next week. Um, So please bow. Um, God, thank you so much for um, your word, God. Thank you for giving us, um, giving us hope, God, to know that there is an after. Um, even if we feel like we've always been in the before, that there is a time coming that where we receive our reward, God. And it may be on earth, it may be with you in heaven one day, but we know that it's coming one day, Lord. Um, we ask that you continue to comfort us in difficult times, God, that we continue to discern wisdom from you. Um, God, I ask a specific prayer of blessing upon the leaders of our country, our state, our city, our county right now. It's just incredibly difficult decisions are being made. And um, I just ask that your wisdom is poured into those decisions, Lord, and that you have your hand on them. You give them strength and um, you inspire them in your word, God. Um, We thank you so much for your son on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.